0: Hello, KZMU listeners of Great Wide Open. Welcome to the August 2021 edition of Great Wide Open. This month, we're doing something fun and unique. We are actually launching this streaming broadcast prior to our Monday, August 9th live airtime. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Well, it's because we have an interview for you today from Tokyo from our friends John Glassberg and Jess Talley of Louder Than Eleven Productions. They are on site at Tokyo, ready to document the inaugural debut of sport climbing in the Summer Olympics. It was really intriguing to get the insiders look at what's going on behind the scenes, how the COVID protocols are working, And all the new technology that is being employed at this Olympics. There's some really crazy cool camera work and touch sensitive holds and all kinds of unique tech that is being used at this Olympics. As some of you have possibly already seen, I was fortunate to get a hold of John the day prior to the qualification round for the men's event. And as We go to airtime. The men and the women have concluded the qualifying round with the finals beginning Thursday morning, and the women will conclude their event on Friday morning. I wish all the competitors the best of luck in the final round. Until then, I hope you'll sit back and enjoy this interview from behind the scenes at the debut of sport climbing at the Tokyo Olympics. Good afternoon, everyone here in KZMU land in Moablandia or from reaches near and far. This is Lisa Hathaway, your host of Great Wide Open here on KZMU Moab Public Radio. As you guys all know, I'm a little bit crazy about the Olympics, so you're going to get some more Olympics today. And we are getting an Olympics update straight from Tokyo, from the camera's mouth. And I say from the camera's mouth, because today I have with me John Glassberg, who runs a production company called Louder Than 11, and he is on-site in Tokyo as a media personnel. John, welcome to Great Wide Open. Thanks
1: for having me. This is really exciting.
0: It's really exciting for me, too, and so crazy that I'm like looking at you and you're in Tokyo.
1: (laughs) It's crazy that we're actually here. I I never thought that this day would come, not just for climbing but also for the Olympics to even be happening at this stage in the world when you know there's a pandemic and everything is extra challenging so it's just a a small miracle that it all worked out so far.
0: It has been and it seems like things have been going great and um, I really want to hear about well first a little um, background on you and your passion for video and photography and how you started louder than eleven, and how louder than eleven, and you and your fiance Jess ended up at the Tokyo Olympics.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I've I've been a lifelong climber, so I, you know, I started climbing when I was eleven, and I'm 37 now, so I've spent the majority of my life climbing and in the climbing world. And uh, kind of out of college, I I got really interested in kind of transitioning away from. Being and acting like a professional climber, and kind of shooting photos and videos of my friends who were also professional climbers doing climbing stuff that was really amazing. So um, I, you know, got to do a lot of uh, photo and video projects with you know some of the um, biggest names in climbing over the years, and it just you know turned from a passion into and it's still a lifestyle, but. You know one thing led to another and i was working for usa climbing for about part of a decade and uh my company louder than 11 um was doing all the live broadcasts and all the photography and kind of just all the media around usa climbing in its in its infancy as uh i guess the competition live broadcast scene kind of started um uh, maybe in like 2010 ish um So, yeah, like I guess I was pretty ingrained in in the broadcast world for climbing from an early uh, starting point. And then, yeah, it's funny with the Olympics. I I, I applied for a press pass uh, for the Olympics in 2018, Um, so uh, quite a long time ago now. And uh, I, I got approved in, you know, early 2019. And then, you know, we all thought that the Olympics was going to happen in 2020. And obviously, it's still called Tokyo 2020, which is kind of a running joke around here in Tokyo right now. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a long process to, get to this point. But um, I mean, we're, we're actually here. We never thought it would happen. So uh, it's just a small miracle in general that we're here at all.
0: It is a small miracle. Um, Kudos to everyone who is making it happen, um, because obviously there's a lot of controversy and there's just a lot of logistics involved. And uh, one of the things that you have intimated is that you guys basically are under such strict protocols in Tokyo that you're primarily spending a lot of your time just quarantining.
1: In your hotel room yeah yeah we're, we're like rats in a cage here <laughs> we are in a 12 by 12 foot hotel room you know it's definitely not glamorous but we are here and uh you know it would be cool if we were in the athlete village and we were doing all the things that you would do when you're at the olympics but uh we're just glad that it's actually happening so it's pretty it's pretty crazy with all the the limitations and the COVID protocols and you know the restrictions in general But at the same time, there's a lot of contradictory stuff that kind of happens that makes it feel like kind of silly that we were going through all those, you know, crazy rigid uh, rules, basically. I mean, when we arrived, you know, we sat in the, we must have been in the airport for seven hours, um, just waiting for test results to come through and standing in queues and waiting for, you know, someone to tell us to go to the next room and sign something. And it was a lot of, Uh, It was a lot of work just getting to the airport. Um, And honestly, it was a lot of work getting here in the first place. Like I I think I've been working on coming to the Olympics for you know at least a year and a half. And then in the past six months, it's just been nonstop effort to try to get here. So um, I'm the designated um, CLO. um, So I'm like the uh, liaison officer for our, our media group, which is louder than 11. So for myself and my wife, Jess, um, you know, I have to like handle testing every day and entering our health information and making sure that you know we're following the protocols. And then if we do something wrong, then you know we get in trouble or something. We don't we don't really know what happens. <laughs> we're, we we haven't crossed that bridge yet, but we've heard stories of you know press people being made an example of here um, and being sent home for going shopping and you know all this weird stuff that you know we are trying really hard to like play by the rules, but There's so many rules that you feel like you're always doing something wrong. So, um, but yeah, we we got here um, on the 22nd of July and pretty much ever since then, we just make our way from the hotel to the main press center or from the hotel to the um, climbing venue each day to capture photography of uh, route setting and preparation and uh, training before the Olympics starts for the climbers on the 3rd of August.
0: Are you um, documenting any other events or are you strictly designated as um, climbing media?
1: Yeah, so I I have what's called an, an EPS, which is uh, a, a, an individual photography sports specific um, past. So I can only shoot um, sport climbing is what they're calling it. They call mm-hmm. it sport climbing, sport which is climbing, funny yeah. because to us, it's like sport Fun. climbing is lead climbing, but they call it sport climbing, which is the combination of those three events: lead, bouldering, and speed. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's strange because you know we could just walk into you know the uh, venue next door to the climbing uh, wall, and we could shoot three on three basketball if we wanted to. Um, we could easily get into just about any event we wanted to, I think, because it just says EPS on our badge. So I think they would just assume that we are like the event specific (laughs) photographers there. Um Jess is uh is sleeping behind me because she stayed up until almost four in the morning last night editing photos. But um we uh she has an e accreditation which means she's just a journalist. So she can go into the mixed zones, she can go into you know, any of the um, press pool areas where, you know, she can take notes or she can write or she can edit photos. Um, she kind of has a little bit of a different access. I wear like a, a photography vest and then Jess kind of just walks around in her normal clothes. Um, but yeah, it's it's been pretty, uh, pretty interesting navigating. This is my first uh, Olympics that I've ever shot as a, a sport photographer. Um, so there's a lot of Uh, cool stuff that kind of is like associated with the Olympics. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the ultimate sports moment for a lot of people. And and even for photographers, it's a really big deal, you know, like, it's really special to be able to, to come here and, and capture this. And it feels super unique, because the only people that are here are photographers and press people. So there's, I mean, there's a ton of event staff. And it's, you know, there's a lot of coaches and you know pts and physios and all this stuff but you know there's there's just like this weird emptiness where there's no crowds we're not interacting with people we're not interacting with locals at all like it's it's really strange we feel really isolated and like we are the only you know we are the, the main event besides the the athletes so it's just us and the athletes it's really strange
0: that is crazy and there's probably almost equal numbers of each
1: yeah, they said, I think they said there's 80,000 people here roughly for the Olympics, um, whether it's as a um, as media or press and also as uh, support staff for athletes. So, I mean, you think of that in the sense of like, you know, Tokyo is 12 million people, it's it's so huge. And for 80,000 people to come in and out, that's just like a, you know, a normal daily commute of tourists, usually probably in Tokyo, if not less. So I think Tokyo is is, probably feeling pretty empty also to the local people here that are probably used to it being really busy. Like, I mean, the streets are, are, you know, there's people walking around and there's people on bikes zooming around, but there's not much traffic. It's pretty quiet. I've I've been here, um, maybe a total of three months, um, over different trips and it, it just feels like extra quiet. So it's, it's definitely interesting.
0: That's so cool. Um, i uh for you out there in our listening world who may not be familiar with climbing media john has an instagram account um is it lt11 is that the instagram
1: louder than louder than 11 the number so yeah you can follow us we're kind of posting like stories each day um, from kind of our weird experiences but either on my instagram or on louder than 11's instagram
0: and that's how i found out i knew you had been routinely working with usa climbing but it wasn't until you actually got to Tokyo that I knew you were in Tokyo because you're doing these great updates, which I think are so fun because it's this total insider look at, let's just call it the less glamorous side of uh, production athletics. And maybe you can, <laughs> I wanted to go like all Terry Gross and be like, um, John, could you could you possibly read us a page from one of your... Um, posts from Tokyo, but I won't do that to you, but maybe just tell us a little bit about these updates because I think they're great.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting since this is, this is a particularly unique, uh, Olympics in that, you know, you're not getting the stories that you would get from, uh, tourists or, or, you know, people just attending the games as, you know, normal people. Um, and since press is kind of the only on the ground, uh, experience that you can have other than the athletes which are also very different the athletes are in the athlete village or they're in their host cities like with their team in their isolation bubbles so i mean it's really it's really just us kind of like experiencing this and i thought it would be interesting for people to you know kind of get an inside look at what we're doing i mean we we went to the opening ceremony on the 23rd and it was like incredibly surreal like they said they let in 3000 press Um, and 900 spectators, which I think were VIPs like, you know, Joe Biden and uh, the Emperor of Japan and, you know, all these, all these really, you know, special people, but they were sitting on a balcony isolated away from us. And the press was down on the bottom and kind of just watching the show basically, because everything here is made for broadcast. The whole thing is just broadcast. That's it. So you know, you, you kind of feel like, you know, we watch it on TV when we're back in our hotel or where we're at the press center. And we see this, you know, really polished, you know, beautiful looking um, broadcast from the Olympic broadcast system, which is amazing. And they they kill it. But it does feel very like weird being in the background when all that is happening. Like we were at the um, at the opening ceremony and it was completely silent, like no noise at all, only shutters going off. Um, I thought it was funny because my my monopod foot has like, it's like a little creaky. I don't know why, but it would like make a noise and like everybody would hear it. And I was like, oh God. And we're in a stadium, you know, of, you know, however many, tens of thousands of seats. Um, and yeah, they, they kind of painted the seats um, in, the, in the stadium to kind of look like people. Um, so it kind of looks in the wide shots like there's a ton of people there, but there's no one there. And uh, yeah, it was just press and us. So yeah, I thought that you know giving these updates in the background would be kind of fun for people to kind of feel like they were here because there's no way to really understand what's going on because it's it's kind of hidden from the main public's eye.
0: Well, and to get a really um, unique firsthand um, information about just kind of how the protocols are so wambly in a way, like certain things that you have written about that are are really like strict at one thing that doesn't make sense to be strict about. And then like putting you all into a bus together, like, oh, okay, well that's media. We'll just put them all on a bus together, but don't let them near anyone else.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny. Yeah, there's a lot of contradictory stuff. Like, I mean, everybody that's here from press has gone through an immense amount of testing. like. We, we had to take a 96 hour and a 72 hour pre-departure test. Um, so, you know, most people before they got on the plane were likely fine. Um, when we landed, we were tested immediately and we waited for a rapid test to come back. So that was pretty fast as well. And then every day since we've been here, we test. So we haven't seen a, a you know, a positive test yet um, in our, from what we've been doing. And I don't know what would really happen. Maybe we would get like a notification on our app that tells us that we've tested positive, but we haven't seen that happen yet. But we have been tracking on the Olympic, uh, I guess the Olympic website has maybe a kind of a running tally of positive tests um, that happen in the Olympic bubble. So if press or or a uh, athlete or uh, support staff of any kind gets a positive test that it goes up on this like list, but there's also been a lot of false positives, which I think people are really confused about too. I mean, I think last time I checked there was like one hundred and forty positive tests, but nobody knows like you know if those positive tests were then followed up by a negative test because it was a false positive, so that's really confusing and yeah, we I mean, we immediately got here and we had been in these you know strict quarantines and everybody was separated and no one was allowed to be together. and then all of a sudden we get on a bus with you know like a hundred people and we're all like shoulder to shoulder, you know breathing in each other's faces. So it does feel like kind of contradictory and you know it's honestly, it's it doesn't feel unsafe at all. It feels totally fine because I know that everybody here has gone through the same testing that we have, and it's very unlikely that they have anything. Um, We also run an app the whole time we're here that um, contact traces us, so if we're next to someone who tests positive, then their phone will alert the, um, I guess, the Japanese government that we had a close contact, so we would know. Um, We're just worried that we would get it somehow, and we would somehow get sent home, so we're just like nervous, we're just like being careful of everything that we do and who we interact with, so that's really interesting. And, and, you know, the, the athletes are also under the same um, protocols. They're a little bit stricter. They say, uh, I think three meters is what we're supposed to stay away from any athlete, which is, I mean, it's also kind of loose. Like we went to a training last night at the wall, the first training at the climbing wall last night. And uh, it was, there was a lot of camaraderie and, you know, high-fiving and, and, you know, fist bumps and stuff. So everybody was very, uh, everybody was like pretty loose. I think people are just so glad to finally be here and so glad to be able to like interact with each other um, after so much uncertainty and not knowing, you know, what's going to happen with the games and if we're even going to be able to pull it off. So, I mean, I think everybody's just kind of relieved, but yeah, there there is a lot of uh, contradictory stuff going on. It's it's very funny.
0: Well, and the, the sport climbing, um, calling it by its official Olympic name, the sport climbing community is also very small and tight and, Pretty much everybody knows each other so it's got to be so hard to be like oh hi kyra and nathaniel who i would normally give a hug to but now i've got to stand nine feet away from you
1: yeah every time you see somebody we like you like go in for the hug and they're like uh, and then we like do a distance fist bump you know it's, <laughs> everybody's just trying to like play by the rules and, and there are so many rules like anytime you do something even like slightly wrong There's, you know, someone there to tell you you're doing it wrong and that you should do this other thing. And, you know, there's there's like eight people, you know, sending a bus into a a parking spot where you then get out and there's eight more people directing you to go this direction. And then there's, you know, 25 military people from the Japanese government checking everything when you go with your badge and you go in through your security spot. And I mean, it it feels like a, a little bit ridiculous, but that's that's just the way it is. You know, it works.
0: Yeah and and it's so great that you guys are like okay we're here we've got this gig and we're just going to cuz climbers can be a little notoriously um you know want to buck the rules be a little iconoclastic but you know you're on a mission you guys are on a yeah. deployment to Tokyo to get us some amazing footage and I cannot wait to see some footage coming from the spots climbing
1: Yeah last night was was really exciting I mean I it was the first time so we've been here since the 22nd of July and you know a week in we hadn't seen a single competitor because all of them are you know isolated in their bubbles either in their um, host city bubble which for the U.S. team is Hachioji it's a it's a area west of uh, Tokyo maybe by 45 minutes or an hour so the Hachioji government kind of set up the Um, U.S. Olympic team there to train and to be isolated and to be out of the uh, kind of the Tokyo scene until they go to the uh, athlete village. I think they go tomorrow to the athlete village. So I mean they're they're here over a week before they even go there and they have like you know a little training facility there. There's a speed wall. There's an outdoor wall. There's a bouldering area. Like they just like are kind of integrated there and, and very distant. So we hadn't seen anybody. We had been, you know, asking for updates like crazy and trying to get photos, and we just weren't allowed to go over there. So, you know, the first time we saw anyone was last night, and it was like, it was a big deal. Like it. I mean, not to make this about me, but <laughs> I've been a climber my whole life, you know, and I've imagined this moment my whole life because, you know, when I went to school at Appalachian State in Boone, in North Carolina, um, in college, you know, I, I saw that you know, there was no collegiate climbing teams, there was no way for someone to get a uh, a scholarship to go climb as a sportsman in that sport. Um, And I, I really wanted there to be a path for people to say, like, I want to be a professional climber, I want to be a, you know, a collegiate level climber that will then, you know, translate to competitions and stuff like that. So, you know, I started this Collegiate level thing, and you know it kind of took off, and USA Climbing adopted it, and now there's collegiate level sports with um, or collegiate level competitions with climbing. And I just had always imagined that you know that was the obvious path for climbing, and you know we're here at the Olympics, and you know uh, Christophe Bouillon, um, or billon is the um, technical director for IFSC, and he was involved in the very first competitions that were happening in uh in europe you know in the early 80s and you know everybody that's here right now has you know a very close tie to climbing and last night was just it it was amazing it was like the all-star game you know like yes there are some people that aren't here that would really round out the all-star game but man it felt so special last night like everybody was just vibrating you know it was so amazing to see you know, all the, you know, old technical delegates, the route setters, the press that were there, the the athletes, like it, it was just like a, a big celebration of of sport last night. So we finally got to see them for the first time. So I mean, that was just like that was really special. It was it was super emotional to have come this whole journey and and actually feel like it, it was gonna happen.
0: It's so amazing that it is happening. And you um, mentioned a little bit about the um, climbers and all that athletic teams that came to um japan prior to the olympics they've all been stationed in various host cities um and one of the reasons for that for people who haven't been following the olympics super closely is that the athletes used to be the athlete village was like kind of the epicenter the heartbeat of an olympics games and all the um, all the competitors could meet each other and hang out and infamous for partying and other antics but at this olympics they only have if I have it correct, five days prior to their event is the earliest they can be in the village and then they have to leave within five days, they have to leave Japan within five days of completion of their event, which will force a lot of participants from missing the closing ceremonies, but it also um, limits the amount of time that they can acclimate and train in the facility that they're going to be competing in
1: yeah i um i so i was chatting with all the um all the coaches and all the athletes last night about this because you know part of the most you know one of the most special things about the olympics is getting to be in the olympic village and existing with your your fellow uh you know sportsmen in this amazing place that you would never be able to do this otherwise so i think like typically the like you said the the village is a really it could be a little crazy. And you hear all these stories about partying and, and hookups and all this fun stuff that happens at, at the games. And, and that's awesome. I think that like, that's part of a big reason why, you know, people are are so excited to come here. And I was chatting with um Killian Fischuber, who is one of the coaches for the Austrian team, who again, another like amazing luminary. Yes, just a a amazing representation of where how far this sport has come like if this had happened 10 years ago he would be here at the olympics but as a competitor but now he's here as a coach and you know there's a there's so many of those stories of people that are just like so deeply ingrained in climbing that are here for other reasons now um but he was in the um he's in the village with the austrian team they they went a little bit early and um he said it's just it's incredible Like. The, the scene there is just, I think, pretty cool for, for a lot of the athletes. They, you know, they're a little bit isolated with the way that they can have, you know, food and, you know, the way that they can, like, interact with um, other athletes. But, you know, I think that they're going to the cafeteria and just staring at people and just, like, in awe of, you know, who they're able to interact with. And it's, I think it's just a really, uh, it's a really special way for people to like actually see people that they wouldn't otherwise interact with so i mean he was saying that you know like eating lunch they were just sitting there at the table and just like staring at like amazing athletes that they had idolized their whole lives and it was just this really special you know way to interact with people and then like you were saying too the the um you have to leave the country after your i think you're given yeah five days or four days i can't remember the actual number um, before you have to leave after you finish competing so I was talking to Jan Hoyer last night who's a friend of mine and he's here it's amazing and he's competing in the games and and we were chatting about you know what his predictions were and he goes he like stopped me and he was like he was like John do you want a prediction about how my performance is gonna go and I was like yeah <laughs> totally and he's like I'm gonna get seventh in speed I'm gonna get seventh in bouldering and I'm gonna get seventh in lead and I was like I was like, that's really random, why, why do you think that? He's like, well, that's what I have to do to make finals, because if I don't make finals then I have to go home and I can't watch finals. So right. he is really motivated just to stay here as long as he can. He just wants to like live in this Olympic moment for as long right. as possible, because I think the German team has to leave within two days of concluding their
0: competition.
1: Oh, really? Competition. Why? I don't know. I asked him that and he said, no, we have to leave in two days. So. I think they get kicked out of the village maybe. They could maybe go to a hotel, but it okay. gets it gets messy because then you have to like arrange for it and, you know, there's all these COVID protocols. So I don't know. I, he was just like, I have to make finals. And I was like, oh yeah, you'll, you'll be
0: fine. That is such great motivation. Def- he's one of the, I'm, I'm not rooting for all the climbers, but um, I was really stoked to see his journey to making the Olympic team. And I mean, man, what a pressure cooker. It was for everybody to try to make this their own Olympic teams because the format is so weird in climbing this go-round and it might change to be more like track and field or gymnastics as time goes on but the competitions within the competitions because only what is it 20 males 20 females something like that and then only two from every country but no country was guaranteed a spot except I think Japan was guaranteed one spot but
1: yeah, I think they were guaranteed a male and a female yes yeah, sure, yeah. I believe yeah.
0: yeah, one per medal and um so, and I don't think that they actually took advantage of that. I think they made their climbers compete if I'm not incorrect, but anyway, details, so yeah getting getting there in the first place was so hard, and Jan's by no means an older athlete by any definition of older, but kind of on the World cup scene, he's like he's more seasoned than say Brooke and so many
1: hunger climbers yeah i mean i think basa Mawem is the oldest i think he's 35 um and i mean i'm 37 and i don't feel old so i, I guess like i mean the, the competition world right now is right. very young um
0: very you know young. there's
1: the the competitors from south africa i think are like 16 or 17 maybe um, Colin is 17, um, I, there, there are some very, very young competitors. I mean, I was, we were watching skateboarding the other day and two 13 year olds were on the podium, it was amazing. Like, I, I think, you know, as, as the sport gets more, gets to a higher level, the, you know, requirements and the, you know, specialization is going to, you know, dial in exactly what makes the best competitor. Um, kind of like gymnastics like there's a, a, a body type there's a an age where you kind of break through and you kind of just start to see you know what the the Olympic climber shape and form looks like you know it just becomes the the standard um, because the format demands it um, and I think you know that was that was interesting everybody's journey is is so is so different um, you know some people you kind of just, knew we're going to make it here and the ones that should have made it mostly made it um like you know adam Andra should definitely be at the olympics uh yanya gombrek should definitely be at the <laughs> olympics like it's their their stories are a little less like uh magical in that they arrived here but they are very cool to be here so i don't know there there's a lot of things that i've noticed as we're kind of watching the games unfold and the preparation for all of this to to kind of come to a head with the competition because, you know, I'm seeing a lot and hearing a lot from the root setters and and from the technical delegates in, at the IFSC about, you know, the growing pains of this sport getting so huge um, so quickly. Um, you know, like we've never seen a, an event this big before in climbing. I mean, millions of people are going to be watching this. Whereas, you know, we're, we're talking thousands or maybe on the best day, hundreds of thousands uh, for, you know, a world championship um, would watch an event like this. And it's, it's usually endemic. So this is going to be a, a proper upgrade to the sport and its visibility internationally. And I think it's going to change a lot of stuff. And, and we're kind of seeing those growing pains at, at the IFSC, I think. Like, for example, the other day, um during route setting for the qualification rounds um, someone um whether it was intentional or not was filming um the wall from this like kind of hill uh, that overlooks the climbing venue they like recorded it either intentionally or unintentionally so one of the um, boulders that was going to be in qualies so you know this video was posted on youtube i think it was up for like a day And then it came down after a few people saw it Um, i think one of the japanese climbers found it or was shown it by someone and so he was able to see some of the you know qualification bouldering which he didn't know if it was for you know women or for men um, but he was able to see it which just showed like a flaw in the system basically i mean this is an outdoor wall it's visible to the public from you know 100 yards away and it's it's just so show, it's showcasing the flaws in, in the format essentially. Well, and it's such a
0: unique format because, as um, you know, Kyra and I talked about, she was on the show last month. The one thing that's super unique about climbing versus other sports is like, even if you're doing wrestling or something, you don't know exactly how your wrestling match is going to go down, but you know a lot about your opponent, you know their moves, you've seen them, you've probably competed against them in a sport like climbing. Everything is what we call on-site. So the climbers have no information whatsoever about, and we call them boulders or roots, what holds are going to be on them and what the sequences are going to be required to do these problems. So it would probably not necessarily occur to an organizing institution that that wall has to be shielded from all eyes because that could provide an advantage.
1: Yeah, there's major flaws in this system. I mean, we've been talking a lot with root setters and with technical delegates at, at, you know, the IFSC. And, you know, ultimately, the format will have to change eventually um, because the field of play is different every single time for competitors. And it's one of the only sports, especially in the Olympics, that the field of play is unique for every round. And, you know, there's like, you could argue, oh, well, surfing, the wave is different every time or the conditions change drastically. But they're competing against nature, whereas we are (laughs) competing on this wall that is truly artificial. And and there are so many potential flaws for routes to be set poorly or unluckily. Um, And for, you know, all these different factors that can come into the idea of on-site because on-site is truly like, you walk up to the boulder and you, and you climb on it and you're climbing on it for the first time without having seen it or any prior knowledge. So, you know, does that mean that when, you know, Jan Hoyer goes and tries boulder one in the boulder round, and then he looks at boulder two while he's walking away, is it still on site? Probably not. Like because you someone know posts a video on YouTube, it's also probably not on site anymore. So yeah, there's a, I mean, basically when we talk to the route setters, you know, they're trying to set um, moves, they're trying to set like ideas of movement so that the audience that's not endemic can understand that, you know, this is really impressive what they're doing. Um, it's, it's interesting, we, we asked them if we're going to see like, you know, all the greatest hits in route setting during the Olympics. And, you know, they're like, we can't really tell you because that's part of the deal. Like if we told you there's going to be a rose move, then someone's going to be looking for a rose move or if there's going to be a paddle dino or something, you know what I mean? Like, we just can't the flaws in the system are obvious when you can't talk about them. Right. And I think yeah. it's, it's something that will change over time and there's so much attention on climbing right now that it has to change. And another another thing just to continue to ramble on is that the uh when we were talking to uh uh Christian uh the um the other day he you know he's been involved in in you know sport climbing since it's competition inception in the 80s. And, you know, he said that competitions were really, really big in the 80s and early 90s. Like, you know, for 10 years, it was huge. Like it was on broadcast television. You know, everyone thought that, you know, competition climbing was going to be the next big thing. Um, And they poured a lot of attention onto it. And then it kind of like died off in the 90s and 2000s because the format was boring. It was so boring. It took four hours for a lead competition to happen.
0: It, it was totally yeah.
1: yeah, it was horrible and and everybody kind of just gave up on it because the format was so poor and now we're seeing the format cater a little bit more to broadcast and cater a little bit more to entertainment which is going to help a huge amount like the the competition climbing scene is going to change enormously over the next year just because of the Olympics and just because everyone's going to see how rad it can look because it's going to look very very cool like the tech is incredible. There's like all this amazing stuff at the wall that's really going to showcase climbing in a, a, a way that we've never seen it before. It's just going to be incredible.
0: Well, and it's funny too because um, I was involved with competitions, you know, back in the old days, mostly as a spectator, but I did do a few. And especially the lead climbing was just so incredibly tedious. You're just like, really? How is this ever, how could this ever translate? So for years, I've not kept up with um, the route climbing aspect, which is what we usually call sport climbing, but um, the route climbing. And so in the lead up to the Olympics, I actually started watching the World Cups, which I haven't watched a lead World Cup in forever. And I was instantly sold. I was like, this has changed so much. I can't even believe it. I almost like watching it better than bouldering, which is I feel a little sick to my stomach saying that, you know, it's like I'm cheating on my lifetime partner of bouldering, but uh, the routes have been great and the competitions have been great. The route setting has mostly been pretty amazing. And I think people will really enjoy, And this is gonna kind of split into two different directions because in one direction we have the route setting conversation that of course we have to have. And then on the other hand, we have the videography conversation, which of course we have to have, which I will say as a climber, I think that documenting climbing in a video format is really, really tough because normally like, you know, you're watching Simone Biles, right? And she's like lining up for that vault and she's talking to herself. And then, you know, she does her little foot moves and then runs down. And the second she hits her landing, you see what's on her face and in climbing, you have this wall in front of you. One of my thoughts was like, they should move to plexiglass walls, but um, so how are you guys navigating that? And then the other part of it, you can't exactly be all up in their grill. You have to have like a safe distance from them and also not be distracting.
1: Yeah, the the tech and the, and the idea behind you know capturing climbing is, is evolving a lot. Um, What, what, like you said, the main problem with competition climbing is that all of it happens facing a a wall. You don't get to actually see the expressions until maybe someone turns around and looks you right in the eye and you know gives you that expression that you're hoping for. But a lot of times, you know, these competitors maybe aren't used to cameras and and they're not you know comfortable with media, so they're not going to like turn around and you know show you the emotion on their face. They're usually going to hide behind the wall a little bit. Um, so I, yeah, that's really challenging. I want some of the tech that I think is really cool from this event that'll be unique, um, which is going to be really special is in the past, we've done, um, a lot of broadcasts for USA climbing for nationals and for, you know, these big events and like Seco block, which you have worked on, um, the cameras that we use are, are usually mounted to the wall. They're, we call them PTZ cameras and they're kind of like. CCTV style. They're kind of like mounted to the wall and they look kind of either down and onto the wall so you can kind of get some expression. The cameras that they're using here at the bouldering wall are on these big arms. These like, um, the, they're, they're kind of just like pipes basically that extend out like a boom. And at the end is like a big camera on, a, on like a little ball. And it can move in, you know, uh, a, a pretty good range. And so it can do moves while also looking and get really close. So that'll be really awesome to be able to see, you know, faces and expressions looking down onto climbers from the Olympic broadcast system that's putting on the event. And so that'll be really special. Um, and then the, uh, there's like a really cool cable camera that's set up vertically next to the wall on the lead wall. Um, that kind of goes at an angle. It's it's pretty sick. It's like this big sled on these cables that goes up next to the wall. So it'll be able to track the competitors as they're climbing, which will be amazing. That's going to look awesome. They also have um, this uh, AR set setup Essentially, it's kind of like bullet time camera setup that you've probably seen if you've watched any of the other um, climbing of, or any of the other events at the Olympics so far they've been showing this at all the different games that they've been covering but it's kind of like that matrix style where it like freezes time and then you can move around yeah So that'll be very cool for bouldering especially um cgi
0: gymnastics
1: yeah exactly there's a lot of like you know with dynamic movement it'll be great to see you know a a frozen shot of miho jumping in the air and you know we can move around her and see different angles of her so that'll be really cool um and then there's some interesting tech with speed climbing as well that's pretty cool um there's this company called Luxob connect that makes these um, like touch sensitive holds so now the speed wall has um i think it's three or four uh touch holds along the path that are black instead of red in color um and the black holds uh kind of track your progress and give you splits essentially or you know, timing, exact, precise timing up the wall. So you can see where people are fast, where they're slow. You can do some actual comparison because, you know, with, with the sport of climbing, we haven't had a lot of technical advancement like they've had with, you know, running sprints and with, you know, all these like amazing technical things that you get to see that come down to the millisecond that are really, really precise. So with speed climbing, that'll be really interesting as well.
0: That's going to be totally interesting. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the media and how a lot of the climbers um, are not accustomed to having a lot of media around them because typically there's like, hi, (laughs) Jess, one or two people. And um, I kind of think in an odd way, it's slightly advantageous for the climbers here at their first Olympics in a way to not be going into a venue that is packed to the gills with people from all over the world. You know, they're not going to be, it's a little, you know, it has a little bit more of a dress rehearsal feel to it than a big event so that they'll be acclimated to this stage. And then when they go to Paris in 2024, it might feel a little bit more, you know, because that's what so many Olympians say that they thought they were prepared until, you know, they stepped out on the ice for their first Olympics or, and were just completely overwhelmed by the intensity and the magnitude of the experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think there's a few things there. One is, you know, it's it's going to feel it's definitely going to feel strange not having an audience there cheering you on. I mean, the only people that are going to be there are going to be coaches, support staff and press. So, it's going to be empty. I mean, the stadium is huge. Like they the 3-on-3 basketball stadium is going to be taken down, which is in front of the wall right now, and it's going to reveal like the whole back um stadium seating area and there's a whole ground seating area. So, I mean, there may be 400 people or something, 300 people there um, for finals, but you have to think as a competitor, like if I look into that camera at this broadcast, like I am addressing millions of people and you must be able to feel that. Like, I mean, as empty as a stadium feels, you're still, you still know that everyone's watching. Yeah. Um, And I, I think today was, or sorry, last night was really interesting because we got to see the competitors for the first time. Um, the IFSC, you know, allowed us to come in and and shoot. And I think it was mostly because they want competitors to start to feel, you know, the pressure from the press, the pressure from the moment, like to start to like get a little bit of a sense of what's going on.
0: The glaring but, eye of the paparazzi.
1: Exactly. Because I mean, up until now, we felt like we were paparazzi. I mean, we were literally, you know, snooping around in the bushes trying to get photos of anybody from the climbing world. because we were just desperate to see people because we had just spent a week capturing, you know, route setting and wall
0: stuff.
1: <laughs> we were like we have to see climbers. So, yeah, I think, you know, for for someone like Colin, you know, who's 17, who's had very little interaction with the media in his life until the past year. This has got to be a little bit overwhelming, you know, like it's it's a big deal. Yeah. I think it I think it helps though. I think it all helps like kind of put the thing in perspective because if you do truly walk out Um, into the climbing venue for your first, you know, speed run on qualification day. And that's the first time you see everything, you're going to be like, blown away. So hopefully, this is a little bit of like a slow introduction into it. And like you said, for Paris, I think it's going to be it's going to be a totally different game.
0: And we know um, Team USA has been doing a lot with the mental aspect of preparing the athletes for this experience, for not just the um, competition experience, which has its own mental game, but the whole experience of being at an Olympic event. Um, It also seemed to me, and I'd love to hear your insight on this because you've been tracking Team USA for a long time now. You've been going to the training sessions, watching them improve, improve. I kind of felt like the COVID pause I don't know really how it was for the other athletes, but you know there, some people it was good for, some people it was bad for. It seemed to me that it was great for the climbing Team USA as a whole, for them to really gel as a team, to like embrace the fact that they are like representing the United States as a team and to train together and have that extra year to just get a lot of confidence under their belts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a blessing and a curse to have that extra year because I mean, Winter Olympics starts in seven months. So th- this is a huge like delay in the overall process of the Olympics. But I mean, for people that qualified, Kyra qualified in 2019 at the Invitational. So I mean, and Brooke before that, she, know, or sorry, I guess Brooke qualified at um, Hachiyoji in 2018 and then Kyra qualified for the team to even be able to qualify for the Olympics in 2019. So, I mean, it's, it's been like a really long time that these people that have already, you know, made the team and, and are qualified for the Olympics have known that they're gonna go. And, you know, for, I, I think, it, you know, being a blessing and a curse, it, it's hard because, you know, you're delayed an extra year, meaning you have to maintain that peak fitness for a whole nother year. And you have to kind of plan you know, all that out, which is a, a lot of work, like huge amount of effort going into planning and training and, and just being at your physical peak when you come here. And I think that leads to injury. A lot of, I would say all of the competitors that I've talked to have some sort of injury that they're working on. But that's climbing.
0: <laughs> um,
1: that's climbing. Yeah. Everybody is injured all the time. That's part of the deal. But I think if you're if you're operating at a peak level for so long for two years now um you know you're it's inevitable that you're gonna start to have some pain and suffering <laughs> going along with it um, but yeah, I think the mental aspect has been huge for a lot of people i I've talked to Colin a lot about this and he's like you know he has an extra year to become a better competition climber to get the experience like Colin had never done a world cup right so he was able to do his first world cup before the olympics otherwise he wouldn't have been able to so right. if there had been this delay so i think for for some people it was hugely beneficial for other people it's hard to know because you know when you when you qualify for the olympics you're at your physical peak like that's when you're that's when you're doing your best and you're you're at your your highest level but then if it's delayed a year you know you may or may not be at your highest level anymore yeah. and I think that's really hard probably to come to terms with as a competitor. Like, I mean, take Shauna Coxie, for example, like right. she was, she was definitely peaking two years ago. And when she qualified, she was definitely at her peak, but now, you know, she's dealt with a lot of injuries. She's had some surgery. Like she's definitely not, I, I would venture to guess, she's not at her physical peak right now. Um, but I mean, for that's
0: her, she's got such a, amazing mental game that that might and, and in, a, in a venue like this that might be for her and it's just a huge advantage that she's got the the brain of I don't know what goes on in that brain of hers but it's something special because the way she reads roots and the way she can adapt on the fly so I'm hoping for Shauna that she's gonna have a positive experience even if she's a little we're getting into the weeds now with all the like specific
1: yeah but I, I think yeah. that's that's fair like um, I think Uh, experience goes a long way Um, you know part of Josh Larson is the head coach of the US climbing team and he you know he just imposes upon these athletes to have experience and to go to World Cups and to live the you know competition lifestyle to to go through a quality round to go through a semifinal, to make a final and to like get a medal at a World Cup is so important like you know if you don't get that experience then you just don't you don't know what you're you're missing and that that knowledge that you get like the, the competitors that are in the olympics right now mostly have done really well in the world cups and have done really well in the you know world championships and they they have like you know a, how many medals does akio have like how many podiums I think, does
0: i think she has i think they said at the last world cup like 32 or something like that something insane like that 32 podiums yeah.
1: And so, and like, um, and Yanya's stats are like outrageous. And and the reason that they're good is because she has so much experience. So, I mean, if you, it, you gain confidence from experience on this stage. And I think that's kind of like the key takeaway from a mental aspect from, you know, Team USA. And, and what Josh has been telling them is that, you know, if you, if you get that experience, it, it pays off in the long run. Like it, the mental benefit is huge. So I There's think that's
0: also- kind of I think there's also at an Olympics, especially a huge benefit to being a dark horse a little bit. And we've seen it so many times in figure skating and gymnastics. And, you know, even in the climbing lead up to qualifying team USA, that if you're considered a favorite, you have a lot of pressure on you, even if you think you're ignoring it and you have more media requests and you have more photo shoot requests, you have more people, you know, wanting a piece of you. Whereas, and I felt like this benefited Brooke hugely in that she could just be doing her Brooke thing and working her butt off and getting results, but not having to deal with a lot of the peripherals that other people were dealing with. And she was our first qualifier.
1: Yeah. I think Brooke is an interesting example. Like she, she has, she is obviously peaking right now, right? Like oh, she's so obvious, much, Yeah performing she's meddling in lead or not meddling but she's making finals in lead and she's meddling in bouldering like she is definitely right now is her moment and I think that that's like that's an enormous amount of pressure and you know like you said because of that you get extra mute uh, media scrutiny you you are looked at every day everywhere you go your your demand for your attention is high and you know like yesterday at the first warm-up she, didn't climb. She just chilled. She just watched. Um, I thought she was going to, she was going to train more um, and she didn't. And that was an interesting move. You know, that's cool. Whatever she wants to do. These are just trainings at this point. So, you know, we just chatted a little bit, you know, she's nursing a small injury. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that is, is a little overwhelming, but I also know that the team has spent the past week in Hachioji completely isolated from media. Like no one has talked to them at all, except for maybe Japanese media for like a day. So they're like pretty isolated over there and they're not, you know, I mean, Josh Larson the other day said he played like three hours of Mario Kart with Nathaniel Coleman, like in the <laughs> in the hotel, like they're chilling, you know, like, <laughs> like they're, they're casual over there. I think once they go to the athlete village, they're going to be, you know, a lot busier and it's going to be a lot more real. Um, and I think today, uh, yesterday was, was probably their, their first dose of, of this is the real deal. Um, but, you know, there's there's a dark horse mentality that I think goes a long way. Like, Colin yesterday in training was a monster. He was totally on, and it was awesome to see. Like, for Colin, he you know, he's a dark horse, but because no one knows what he's capable of because he's only done a few competitions. But he's also, like, made a lead final. Mm-hmm. Like, one yeah. of the workups workups he's ever done. Like, I watched him go. He warmed up on a lead route at the venue last night. He... Absolutely destroyed it. I watched like five other competitors fall off of it before him. He just like easily climbed it. And then he walked over to the speed wall, did three speed runs, all of which were like mid sixes. And and then he like bouldered for like two hours. And he was just like, he crushed everything. And everyone was just kind of like noticing Colin, like watching like Adam, Andra and Jakob and like, you know, uh, the biggest names in climbing, like notice this like kid from USA, yeah. like, they're like, Oh, okay. okay. You know, it was
0: There's cool. That little upstart. Yeah. And and because he is so young and doesn't maybe feel as much pressure as other competitors that could serve to be a huge advantage and just his ability to embrace all the disciplines as Kyra talked about being the, the youth climbers that we have, have been doing the three disciplines that will be part of this medal. Um, most of their competitive climbing career. And so they have been pretty comfortable knowing that they have to climb a speed wall. They have to boulder and they have to do a lead and they can't count on their strength necessarily. Like They have to make it. So there's 20 competitors. They have to make from qualifications to finals. So no one can really sit back on any one event. You have to be at least competent. Like Jan said, 777. If you get 777, you're probably making it to the finals.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, you know, with speed being such a, a weird outlier for the majority of these competitors, um, you know, with that gone in Paris, well, not gone, but separated into its own yep. medal in Paris, it's going to be uh, an interesting show this time because, you know, this is the only time we're going to see all three combined um the competitor list is going to change drastically for paris um just because of the discipline um and the dis um you know the discrepancy between athletes here is is broad like there are speed specialists here um there are lead specialists here there i mean there's people here that are are just good at one specific event within the combined and they're going to come out and crush in their discipline which is going to be awesome to see, but it's also all vibe. I think it's going to be very interesting to watch speed climbers, you know, putting up amazing runs and then going and getting destroyed in the bouldering rounds, right. Or, you know, lead climbers that are, you know, like, I think a great example would be, um, uh, Laura, yes. Like she's going to destroy the lead climbing round and it's gonna be amazing, and Yanya is gonna also destroy the lead climbing and bouldering round, but then on speed, they're gonna be middle of the pack or below. I mean, you just kinda of know where you're gonna land, and everybody's just playing a numbers game, knowing that it's multiplication of all three events for your overall ranking. I think, you know, it's a lot of, the coaching is is really important there, like, to know where you're at and what type of numbers you need to be hitting, um, and, and not to exhaust yourself either, because it's really fast. Like. You come out and you do speed there's a 10 minute break and then you go right to bouldering and then a 10 minute break and you go to lead so it's like it's That's quick right. and you're doing three boulders too so the format is is unique um and it's going to change a lot for paris but i think for now it's it's a pretty cool way for for example brooke to make you know an olympics this is like this is her domain she's great at all three um you know what i mean like there's people that are just good at everything Tamoa. Oh my God, amazing at all. Tomoa has a a move on the speed wall named after him, but he is a, uh, you know, arguably one of the best boulders, definitely one of the best lead climbers. Like he's unstoppable. Like, I mean, when you're good at all three, that's when you become like the the triple threat, you know?
0: And if you're not good at all three, you just have to really acknowledge that you're probably not going to pull some kind of miracle out in one of the events and focus on being just solid in you know be embrace the speed embrace the speed climbing because that could be for some of the the technical climbers that could be what gets them to the finals is having a a great speed round
1: yeah i mean if you if you win speed if you get a one in speed and you're dead last in lead and bouldering if you get a one a 20 and a 20 you're still going to do pretty well like that's pretty decent so i mean winning a winning one of those individual events is is really good um so yeah it'll be really i mean uh, last night was was interesting though because it was cool to see everybody just feeling like being there in general was the accomplishment i mean for for sure there are a few competitors that are there to win um and you know they're they're in their they're in their competition mode um like adamandra is there to win like you can just tell like the way he walks around he is a winner. <laughs> um, so,
0: I think he's been projecting that, yeah, throughout the whole World Cup season.
1: Yeah, and and watching him like walk into the the venue, like he's just there to demolish climbs, and he, you know, he has a media blackout right now. Like he's not interacting with media whatsoever. He's totally focused, which is awesome. Um, and you know, it it was still great to see like the interaction though with everyone. Like everybody there you know, at the first training, got to see each other for the first time, got to interact. It was it was just a big party. Like everybody's just happy to be there. And it truly felt like, you know, it, it, the win was just being at the Olympics.
0: That's so fantastic. And the unique thing about climbing, well, a lot of these sports are done outside, but climbing is going to be done outside on a wall that's overhanging with, um, aside from the speed, which is what 95 degrees or something like that so slightly overhanging. They know the holds on the speed route, they don't know what they're going to get on the boulders and on the lead climbing and it is hot and humid in Tokyo and if there's one thing 99.9% of high level climbers dislike, it's high heat and humidity together. So the route setters and people joke about it being, you know, also a competition of the setters versus the climbers and can they set problems that the climbers can't work around and whatever. The sweater, the sweaters, the, the setters must be sweaters right now because <laughs> that's just an added element to their game of trying to make roots that people get up so that this watching at home audience enjoys it, but also separating the field and not having ties.
1: Yeah, last night um, at the training, I think almost every single competitor was wearing an ice vest Mm -hmm. so everybody is wearing like ice on them all over the place. People have ice packs on their necks, they're wearing them on their, like Jakob had them like saran wrapped to his wrists. Uh, I saw Miho with them all over her knees like I mean people are wearing ice and they're in front of fans and they are. You know using liquid chalk, and they're using every tactic in the game in the book you know like it is it is a battle against conditions it's honestly just a battle against uh your own personal like heat level like everybody's just kind of overheating like i was next to um jan and and um and Jakob, and i could just feel the heat like radiating off of them because you're you just like are you're just in this like it's 90 degrees it's like 80 percent humidity it's so hot and wet out there it's like it's it's hard i mean from you know being a boulder that can only perform in like 45 degree like crisp conditions where otherwise i'm like i hate this it's it's really challenging i think but at the same time it's an even playing field for everyone right everybody's experiencing the same thing everybody's you know competing in the same conditions um and when we talk to the route setters about this they also said basically the same thing. They're like, you know, they're going to, they're going to all be up against the same challenges that, you know, each individual competitor is in. And it's going to be, you know, interesting to see how they perform, but they're also, you know, they're here to throw down. And I, I think honestly, like watching them last night, it didn't seem to be a huge factor. Like it is uncomfortable, but they've all been in Japan now for a while. And, you're either inside in air conditioning or you're outside and you're instantly sweating. Like I sweat through my shirt every time we climb there or every time we go to the the climbing wall, like I'm totally soaked. Um, There's like these uh, air conditioning units behind the wall, which are like kind of next to the um, entryway where all the climbers um, enter into the climbing zone. And they're like kind of blowing cold air on people. And every competitor has their own fan that they bring. And, you know, it's like, the level is so different like if you you had done this 10 years ago you would be laughed off the competition wall so it's cool to see like the the tactics because they are truly like it feels a lot bigger now like it feels like we've entered into a professional sport with some you know solid understanding of what you need to do to perform and what you need to do to win so that's pretty cool
0: That is pretty cool. What are you um, most looking forward to watching um, as a climber and also as a media person?
1: Uh, Can you say that again? Sorry, you broke up a little bit.
0: What are you most looking forward to observing as both a climber and as a media person at the climbing competition?
1: I mean, ultimately, I just want to see one of my friends with a gold medal around their neck. I think that's going to be the coolest thing imaginable to me. That's the ultimate, you know, validation that our sport has made it and that our, you know, our friends are as cool as we know they are. (laughs) But also, you know, I, I want to see like a good competition. I want to see, you know, People pitted against each other and and truly battling it out, knowing what they have to do to win. And that's what's that's what's special about this is that you know I think with the amount of coaching and the amount of um, media attention and the level that we're at now, you can tell you know that people are 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 ready to compete against each other and they're going to be able to strategize and and do their best to to win. And I I think that seeing people you know in their ultimate sports moment, trying as hard as they possibly can at their peak physical fitness with all these tools at their disposal to, to do their best is going to be extremely awesome to watch. <laughs> I just can't wait to see this like display. It's, it's gonna be a total spectacle for you know, us as core climbing people, um, You know, having seen climbing come as far as it has, um, it, it's just gonna be a spectacle. It's gonna be incredible.
0: I can't wait to watch it. I'm not sure I'm gonna get up at 3:30 in the morning or whatever I calculated. It's gonna be. I might have to. I might have to wait for the um, for the live stream replays to occur. Actually, maybe I'll just get up and watch it. Who knows? But um, I'm super excited to see it. And as I said when I was talking with Kyra, I think I said super excited at least 17,000 times. So apologies to all the listeners up there. Do you have any predictions for us or do you not want to go there since we are such, you know, we know all these people pretty well. I don't want to hex anyone, but do you want to give us your um, John Glassberg predictions?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, I i could probably guess at least one or two male and female competitors that will be on a podium unless something really strange goes on. Um, I would imagine Yanya will be on a podium. I would imagine Adam and Jakob and uh, Tamoa probably have a very good shot at making a podium. Um, You know there's there's a lot of dark horses out there because and they're not even dark horses we just haven't seen them compete in the past year or two. Um, There are people that could very very easily do really really well because we have no idea how strong they are right now. We have no idea what their mental game is going to be like and we don't know who's going to have their day. Like Brooke could have her day. Like Brooke could come out there and do an amazing speed run, which will give her the confidence on the boulders. And then she's gonna climb great in the boulders. She's gonna do great on the lead. Like she could just have her day.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's
1: really, it's it's kind of random in that way. Um, I think like, you know, if you're if your injuries are are manageable, if you're having a, a good day, a lucky day, if your mental game is strong and you're you're peaking physically, then it might just be your moment. And that's what's so cool about the Olympics is like, you could just have your Olympic moment and you could stand on a podium. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. I mean, there are of course, you know, some people that are, you know, high performers that you expect to do well. But, you know, we just saw in Salt Lake, like, you know, Yanya can be beat. Like there's there's competitors that are, you know, the best at what they do and they can still make mistakes or you know, have little slip ups or whatever, and that that can go a long way in competition. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. I I, I would predict also that Jan will, uh, you know, make sevens across the board. I mean, he's probably going to be middle of the pack for everything, you know, he wants to be in finals. So <laughs> who knows? Think,
0: yeah, there there are a couple people out there that I think could could do that whole like really capitalize on just being competent at all the things. So I'm super looking forward to it, and I hope that um, during your stay there you get to, do you get to go to any other events or venues or get to see anything? Skateboarding and surfing and their introduction to the Olympics, I think that's done already, so you probably didn't get to see that. Track and field, do you get to see anything like that?
1: We could probably go. Um, I mean, honestly, like it, it, we could probably walk in and, and shoot some stuff if we wanted to, or or just spectate as press, I guess um but uh, our quarantine lasts for 14 days from our arrival so i think right in the middle of finals is when our quarantine ends so we would be able to go out for maybe one day and take public transportation and see tokyo and do all that i mean you know we're kind of like we're kind of here to to be fully immersed in the climbing scene and and every day we we go to the climbing wall and we interact with the climbers and you know we go to see the route setters and we do our climbing thing and when we're not at the wall we're at the press center like working on photos and stuff for magazines and for newspapers and for you know online publications so you know we're we're just trying to capture as much of this as we can because it's so historic to me and historic to climbing and it's just so important to show you know our climbing Friends in the climbing world, what's happening here? Because it's it's so isolated. It's it's truly it's truly strange. Um, you know, given any other competition, there would be you know a dozen or more f- photographers pumping photos out and stories out about the event. But you know, the only other photographer that's here right now is Daniel Gadzda from um, the IFSC. He's an American guy. Um, but you know, there's like one other photographer here for climbing. So we feel also a responsibility to like nail it. You know, like we really wanna take really great photos and really document this moment because climbing is never going to have its debut again. So this is it.
0: I've just been so thrilled watching your updates. I'm so thrilled for you guys to be there and can't wait to see what happens next. I'll be following your feeds on Instagram and looking forward to seeing some climbing action soon
1: yeah thanks we'll we'll put out a lot more stuff in the next week or so leading up to the start of the games
0: Oh it's going to be fun John, thank you so much for taking time out of your 12 by twelve <laughs> cage to hang out <laughs> with us here today. Um, I was very interested to hear your perspective and it's just been really great to chat with you
1: yeah, thanks for having me i, I hope uh, I hope everybody watches along on their three a m live broadcast and <laughs> guess to cheer on their their hometown favorites.
0: Yes. Go Team USA and go louder than 11. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. Thank you, John. Have a great day. You too.